You're listening to a podcast of This Positive Life, thebody.com's growing collection of first-person stories from people living with HIV. Hello and welcome. This is Bonnie Goldman, Editorial Director of thebody.com. Welcome to This Positive Life. I'm here today with Justin Smith. And today I'll be talking with Justin about what it's like to live with HIV. Welcome, Justin. Hello. Hello. I guess let's start at the very beginning. Can you start by describing how you found out you were HIV positive? I kind of had an idea that something was wrong with me anyway. I was sweating in, in bed, and I didn't understand why I was sweating so hard. Why am I sweating? I have satin sheets. It doesn't make any sense. Then I woke up, and as soon as I sat up, I threw up twice on the side of my bed. And then I ran to the bathroom, and I threw up on the side of my toilet, and I finally got the last one inside the toilet. So <laughs> I knew something was wrong. I decided to go to the clinic. To, I was helping us people into Living Incorporated in D.C., which specializes in LGBT testing awareness and, and education, targeting African Americans. Is this free testing? Yes, it's free testing, yes. How long ago was this? I went to them in 2006. Actually, I used to work there back in 2004. I went there to work as their admin assistant. I knew I could trust them. I had friends there that were already still working there. So I went there, and I called my friend Brian, who was off. I went in and got the test. It was a 20-minute order shore test. It was a swab test where they swab inside of your mouth, and then they test it. And you could find out immediately? 20 minutes. What was your expectation while you waited for the results? A million things went through my mind. I'm 26 years old. There's no reason why, ignorantly, of course, I thought I couldn't be positive. My name is Justin Smith. How can I be positive? Da, 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 da. I'm Justin B. Smith. How can I be positive? I'm an example. But then, of course, I thought about all my past behavior. <laughs> I went out and I drank a lot and I used to do drugs, cocaine being my drug of choice. I used to lead a very dangerous life, I guess. Going home with somebody, when you're high or drunk, you really don't think about a lot of the things that you should be thinking about, like condom use. When I was getting my test, I, I smoked about 20 cigarettes. While you were waiting for the results? Yes. In the 20 I, minutes. It's kind of hard. 20 cigarettes <laughs> in 20 minutes, yes. It was really hard, but I did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> a whole pack. How long had you been doing drugs and going out? I was doing that for about a year and a half. It was actually... After I had went through a breakup, it was alone, so I felt like I was like, hey, I'm free, I'm single, yeah, I can do whatever I want. This was in Washington, D.C.? Yes, this is in D.C., which you can get into anything you want to here. <laughs> anything you want to. Were you very out as a gay man back then? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was out. I was even out in the military. When I was in the military from 99 to 2003, I was out. Like, people knew I was gay. It wasn't that obvious anyway. But, you know, I was out, and nobody cared as long as I did my job. We're back in the 20 minutes, and you're waiting. And what else is going through your mind besides, like, smoking all the cigarettes and everything? I was waiting for my friend Brian because I was hoping that he would get here before 20 minutes because I needed his support. He's my best friend, and I'm like, okay, I need him to be here <laughs> with me. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do if it's positive? What did you think you were going to do? My mind went blank. And then I knew 30 minutes had gone past. I got up there, and I said, well, Brian isn't here, so let me just be a man and find out. Let me do this. Whether I find out if he's here or not, I'm going to have to find out anyway. I went to the room and the tester said, uh, Mr. Smith, are you ready for your results? And I said, sure. And she said, Mr. Smith, you're tested positive for the HIV virus. And I said, okay, and didn't hit me at first. Then I cried uh, for about 15, 10 minutes. First, my thought was I won't be able to have any children. 
that was my thought. That was my first thought. I won't be able to have any children. I was really upset about that. Still am sometimes. Second, although it's not true. <laughs> yes, although it's not true, right. And it, it wasn't, at the time, I wasn't really educated about that. But it's true. I still can probably biologically have children. It just takes a lot sperm of money. Sperm washing. Yes. <laughs> yes, actually, it cleanses your sperm so you're able to fertilize an egg without it being HIV infected. Now, of course, we both know that costs a lot of money, though. <laughs> my second thought was, what are my parents going to think? Because they brought me up to know what was responsible and what was not, especially when it came to sex. I was raised with the silver spoon in my mouth. I was very spoiled as a kid. But my dad sat me down at the age of 13 and gave me my first condom and said, here, be responsible. I knew that. And what is he going to think of me now? My third thought was that I was going to die. It's always been something about me to put other people's needs in front of mine sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that is wrong. A lot of people would disagree with me about doing that. I thought about all these people, and then I thought about myself. What am I going to do now? My friend Brian came, and I cried in his arms. Then we went to the bar and got a drink. (laughs) And I said, well, you know what? And he goes, what are you going to do from here? And I said, you know what? I'm just going to live. How was Brian with the news? Oh, he was very cool. So you knew that you could trust him? Yes, yes. I knew that was one of my support systems. He was the first person I ever told. I mean, he was there. Did you ever worry that he would tell other people? No. Brian and I, we've been best friends for five years now, actually. He's been an awesome friend, and I knew he wouldn't go back and tell anybody, especially in our circle of friends. Then what did you do? I didn't know what I was going to do. I got a little depressed. (laughs) Then... My apartment was a shambles. I contemplated suicide, but I said, no, that's just not me. That wouldn't be me. I couldn't do it. What was the first thing you did that helped you come to terms with your diagnosis? I actually started telling people. Had you told your parents, by the way, yet? No, I told friends. Uh My mistake was that I told a friend of mine who actually went back and told my mother. Oi. Yeah, exactly. I got a call from my family. It was my stepfather. He asked me, do you have AIDS? I said, and being honest, no, I don't. Because <laughs> your diagnosis was HIV, not right, AIDS. exactly. I said, no, I don't. And he said, well, your mother's over here crying. And then my brother got on the phone and he started crying. They asked me and said, well, we heard you had HIV. And I said, well, that is true. I do have HIV. So they started crying more. And then I said, you know, listen, I need you guys to be strong with me. I don't need you to cry for me. From that point on, they've been the biggest supporters I've ever had. And how long after your diagnosis was this? Oh, wow. A couple months. Did you have health insurance at that time? No, I did not, actually. I had to get free services through ADAP. Had you done anything like that yet, or you were just figuring that out? I was just figuring that out. I never had to do that before. You didn't get your CD4 count or your viral load? After the free clinic tested me at us helping us, I went over to Whitman Walker Clinic. They actually referred me to them to get all those numbers. And that's a free clinic? Yes, and that is also a free clinic, but they have more services. Now, actually, as of today, I sit on the board of directors of Whitman Walker Clinic in D.C. I went over there, and they told me my CD4 count, and it wasn't too bad. The initial one was about 500, actually. My viral load was 77 thousand, which actually wasn't too bad. Did you think that you had been infected a long time or a short time? Probably a short time. When I was infected, it was early 2006, so I actually know who infected me. Have you ever confronted them? 
Yes, I did, actually, and I took him to the clinic, supposedly. He didn't know. I believe him when he said that. But you weren't mad at him? No, because I, I believe that being mad or being angry at somebody is a waste of time. I think that if you keep that energy inside of you, it's only going to consume you. It's only going to bring out the worst in you. And also, you didn't ask for protection. No, I didn't. So it's kind of 50-50. Right, exactly. So how can I blame him? How could I be mad at him? I was mad at myself. I was mad at him. I couldn't do that to myself. Mentally, it would, it would make anybody go insane. So your family, after the phone call, how were they with you? Were they wary about sharing cups or no. kissing you? Or, nope. Uh-huh. They seem to be knowledgeable about yes, transmission. They, they weren't at first, but now they are. They were knowledgeable, but I think that some of them that were in their 40s or 50s automatically thought that I was going to die within five years. Back when it was a death sentence, back when you can live past five years, it was almost unheard of. Back in the 80s and 90s, people were dead within five, two years of getting diagnosed. Did anyone you told during that time act badly? I did get one comment from a friend of mine. It was really, really rude. I told her that was really insensitive of her to say. I was flirting with this guy at one point. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm flirting, obviously. You know, I'm trying to get this guy's number. She said, but you have HIV. And I said, yes, so, but I'm still human. That's why it's called human immune virus. She said, well, you know, that's how you got this problem in the first place. And I said, that was the most insensitive thing anybody's ever said to me. She said, oh, well, I'm sorry. I apologize later on, maybe 30 minutes after she actually thought about what she said. That's what you have to do with people. You have to tell them. You have to be open with them and say, you know what, that wasn't cool. Or you have to be open and honest with them. If you're not open and honest, you're not going to get an honest response. Mostly you told everybody and your family, and you didn't notice any difference in the way they treated you? None. Actually, this is kind of funny, because recently my little brothers found out. Little brothers. One just turned 13, one just turned 11. And they didn't know you were positive? No, they had no idea. I kept that from them on purpose, because I wanted to protect them and wanted to protect my image of myself from them. What do you mean by that? I mean, I didn't want them to look bad upon me because I am their big brother and I I do like to lead by example. There was a little bit of a pressure point there where I wanted to tell them so bad, but I didn't know how. How did you tell them? (laughs) Well, they found out via MySpace. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Because, as you know, I started being open and honest about my status, but started doing it in the most unconventional way, which is through YouTube and blogging and what have you. And I came up with Justin's HIV journal. I started thinking about it two years ago because I actually looked online and I couldn't find any videos of somebody day-to-day doing their life, their medication, their clinical visits, their medication specialist visits, just the beginnings of being infected and what you might have to go through. And I looked that up and I couldn't find anything. I found journals like written books and things like that, but I couldn't find a video journal. So then I thought, I should be doing this. (laughs) You know, I'm newly infected, and I would like people to know what comes along with that. Did you have a journalism background or a video background? Actually, no. (laughs) How did you suddenly become this persona on the web when you had no real background in that? I did write for an online newspaper called gbmnews.com, gaybikemannews.com. And I started doing that. And then I said, huh, 
I've got a column here. I guess I have an idea for a column, just as ACB Journal. I guess that could be a column. And I said, I wonder, hmm, that's it. That's it. So I started that column. Then it grew into a YouTube page, and then it grew into my own justinbsmith.com page and MySpace and Facebook and so on. Did you have any negative repercussions from going completely public so that even your next-door neighbor knew the details of your life? I did have one relative kind of say, oh, well, I don't know about airing his business out like that. You know, are you okay with that? I'm sure, no problem, because the more we talk about it, the better our community will be. There's so much stuff written that HIV is so much more stigmatized in the African-American community or that being gay is so much more stigmatized. And you are an example saying that that's not true. (laughs) I'm not going to say that isn't true because a lot of African-Americans don't want to talk about it, especially, especially a lot of African-American churches. They don't want to talk about it because they associate HIV with homosexuality. I'm just going to be very, very real and truthful it's hurtful because once I try to tell a woman who I've known for a while, she goes to church every Sunday and she's very into Christianity, which I'm fine with, despite what she believes, we're still friends. I tried to tell her, I said, well, I need to tell you I have a chronic illness and that illness, is, she said, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. I said, why don't you want to know? She said, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Is it so much that you're in denial that you don't want to know about your friend's illness? How could you not want to know if I'm your friend, if you're that caring and loving that you say you are? I just don't understand that. I probably will never understand that. My father is a Christian, and he is a elder or a deacon, I can't remember which one, right now in the church. He's Presbyterian. My mother is Episcopalian. So are they regular churchgoers? I would say yes. I think they are, my father especially. Do you know if it's been addressed in their church, or have you spoken in their churches? Actually, no, I have not. (laughs) I think now that you mentioned that, that would be perfect. We should go to both of their churches and actually speak about it, because they do know me. They recognize me as a child and growing up in the church, especially my father's church. Yeah, that's one place I haven't spoken. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about this online presence. I mean, have you gotten lots of emails from people who just oh, yeah. found out. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. So the first email that I got was, so you got poked by a dirty dick. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, hmm, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> the first comment that I got was after my first video, and then I said, okay, well, look, oh, wow, there's already 100 hits after the first day. And I said, that's amazing. Then I got an email from a 19-year-old boy, and I'll never forget it. I still have it, actually. He said... Justin and I commend you for your bravery, and thank you so much for doing this. It went along the lines of saying, before I saw your journal, I thought I was alone, and I was going to kill myself, because he just found out that he was positive. I've gotten emails from a lot of people around the world saying, thank you so much for doing this, exactly what we need, a candid and evolved look of HIV, a face to the name. We need to see exactly what goes on and what is happening to people who actually have HIV, what they have to go through, and maybe it'll have people think twice about what they're doing behavior-wise, about the risk that they're taking. These are negative people who it kind of makes HIV real. Yeah, yeah, it makes it real. A lot of people are thankful for it. Let's turn to another subject. A lot of people feel that their social life and their sex life will end when they find out that they're HIV positive. 
because it's such a difficult subject to bring up while you're dating. How did you deal with dating once you found out you were positive? I was still dating, actually, when I found out that I was positive. I was open and honest about it. I was very upfront. How do you do that? The problem is people don't know how to bring it up. It's kind of an awkward subject. So how do you bring it up? If I was dating somebody seriously, I would take them alone, some place of comfort, and say, if there's something I really have to bring up with you before we get serious, and I need to know how you feel about it because it will make or break our relationship. Usually that guy would say, what do you need to tell me? And I would say, well, I'm HIV positive. Either they run or they stay. <laughs> Have you had a lot of runners? No. No, actually, no. I had one. I had one. One guy. I was out to dinner with him. After dinner, we went to his house, and I said, I really would like to go home with you, but <laughs> there's something I have to tell you before we even step outside this car. And I told him, and he said, okay, let me drop you off home. <laughs> and that was fine, because I was open and honest, and so was he. And you survived the moment. Did you oh, feel yeah. humiliated? No, no, because the one thing is I believe that you should be given a choice. Everyone should be given a choice. That is your choice if you don't want to see me because of my HIV. That is your choice if you do want to see me just because of me. Nobody responded with anger? No, no, nobody responded with anger because it's all about how you do things. It's all about how you say things and exactly what setting you're in. I mean, I'm sure, like, this is not a discussion I'd have over dinner at a restaurant or what have you, or in public, per se. I just wouldn't do it. So once you had gotten used to being positive, did you stop your drug use and then partying? I mean, did um, that change you in that way? When I found out I was positive, I did it harder. <laughs> I did it harder. I was depressed. Oh, I was going out more. I was drinking more, and I was doing a lot more cocaine. Then I decided, you know what, I, I can't do this to myself. So I kind of stopped drinking, and I stopped going out and drugging a lot. When was it? Give me the timing. I think it was two months after I was positive. I started doing a lot. Then I stopped. Then, lo and behold, I met my partner right after that. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, it's been great, actually. We're still together. It'll be about three years. But, you know, we're still together, and actually he was very supportive in me telling him about my HIV status. He was okay with it. He held me, and I cried, and he was like, it's okay with me. It's all right. How did you meet him? <laughs> I met him at a bar. <laughs> Did you tell him immediately? I told him that night. I said, there's something I have to tell you. And that was it. And he was cool? Yeah. He was fine. He was totally fine. Wow, that's amazing. So you really didn't have to deal too much with dating issues. No. And the thing is, it's a lot of people come to me and say, how do I deal with this, with dating? And I try to tell them as best as I possibly can what they probably might want to think about doing. Focusing on themselves, a lot of people want to date so bad. They're like, oh, I want to date, I want to date, I want to date. I'm like, well, let's, why don't you refocus on yourself first? Because a lot of them are just finding out that they're HIV positive. Well, you have to focus on yourself first because you have to get through. You probably think you're fine <laughs> mentally, but you're newly diagnosed and you're thinking about dating other people. I think, personally, you probably need to think about building yourself up a little bit before you even think about dating somebody else. One guy that I knew was still having unprotected sex. He said to me, oh, I'm just having unprotected sex with other positive people. And I said, 
no, honey, that's not how it works. <laughs> Two positives don't make a positive. It's not a good thing. You can get reinfected. Or you can get other STDs. So many different factors when you're positive to look out for. It's just horrible. You can't do that. Your body's going to go through so much. How did you proceed with getting your life back together in terms of a job and et cetera? Honestly, I did what I had to do to survive. Basically, I was a stripper. I went back to stripping, and it was really bad. That's why cocaine was so prevalent in my life. In the entertainment world, it's, it's not hard to find. I was living in D.C. at a studio apartment in Southwest at the waterfront, paying $1,000 for rent. And you were stripping to pay your rent. And Were you on meds at that point? What, what? No, I was not. Did you finally get to see an HIV specialist at that point? Yeah, I actually went to Whitman Walker every single time I needed blood work done. I think it was every three months that they were monitoring me. Then my T-cell count dropped because of the drugs and drinking to 261. My doctor was like, we're going to have to put you on meds. Were you worried about that? Yes. What, what did you think? I didn't think anything except for I really hope that the side effects of the medications don't kill me or make me feel bad or whatever. Did you know other people who were on medications who could yes, offer yes. you support? Where did you know them from? I've been around HIV-positive people since I was 19 years old. How did that happen? How did you get to be around them? Just from going out, actually. I mean, just from going out into the club scene or whatever. I've, I've been going out since I was a younger guy. I always knew that it was okay. I always knew that I was going to be okay, but you never know. You never know. You think one day you're going to be okay, and the next day you could be feeling bad because of the medications. Did you believe in them? Yes, I did. Yes, I do. As you know, there's people out there called HIV denialists, or like they call themselves dissidents. Those people are so crazy. They don't believe in taking antiretroviral drugs. They actually tried to you know, like, oh, you shouldn't be taking drugs, Justin. So toxic to your body. I'm like, yes, but all drugs are toxic to your body. Yes, and, but HIV is toxic to your body. You're not going to tell me that just eating right and exercising is going to help you. Do they come to you on your... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been bombarded with comments sometimes and questions. And there's one girl from South Africa that hit me up with a comment that I just had to block. I just couldn't take it anymore. She was trying to recruit me on to being a denialist. I kept trying to tell her, I said, really, please stop. She wouldn't stop, so I just blocked her. But you knew that antiretrovirals could help you. Yes, yes, and as of now, I mean, my viral load is undetectable, and my CD4 count is about 500. Great, and how do you feel? I feel like a million bucks. So you're not suffering with side effects right no. now? No, I'm on Reatez, Norvir, and Trivada, mm-hmm. which is a three pill a day regimen. The only side effect that I got at first was my eyes that got yellow a little bit. But then I just drank more fluids during the day and it was gone. So does it interfere with your life in any way? Nope, because I remember I take them before I eat and I'm eating all the time. My partner tells me, he's like, I don't know where it goes. (laughs) So you're just a a big eater. (laughs) Yeah, I eat big. I eat big. Do you live with your partner now? Yes, we live in Laurel, Maryland. Is is that a suburb of D.C.? D.C., yes, it is. It's 20 minutes out of D.C. Mm -hmm. We're trying to settle in on a house right now, actually. It's still in Laurel, Maryland. Just a lot of good things going on. And actually, he's the CEO of a company, of an HIV and AIDS company in D.C. called Prevention Works, which is a needle exchange company. So he has an understanding of the issue. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Actually, 
So it's kind of funny because a friend of mine is like, oh, so you're like the power HIV couple of D.C. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> I thought it was cute, but then I thought, well, I don't know. <laughs> Do you feel that you want to take a leadership position? You're on the board of directors of... Uh... Yeah, board of directors of Whitman Walker Clinic in Washington, D.C. Is that the biggest HIV clinic? Yes, that uh-huh. is. So of course, as you know, the economy is really bad right now, and we are putting on an AIDS walk actually in October the 3rd. If you go to the website wwc.org and hit the About Us link and then go to AIDS walk on the left-hand side, you'll see the top five fundraisers, and my name is on it because I'm trying to raise funds for that AIDS walk. So you spend uh, some amount of time every week on AIDS activism. Now. Oh, God, yes. And my friend Brandon McAfada, who I think his company is called ADAPT Advocacy, and his fight is with the ADAPT list. People put on lists for ADAPT. That's just crazy to me. These are for people who can't afford to pay for right. it or don't have insurance. Right. Don't you get sick of talking and thinking about HIV when you have HIV? I mean... Is there a saturation point? Like you write about it, you blog about it, you videotape, you... (laughs) (laughs) I do it all. Yeah, you do it all. Like, (laughs) is it something that heals you inside? Is it It, something that helps you? It it helps me tremendously to know that what I'm doing is helping to save maybe just one person. It, It helps me tremendously. What do you think is missing? Why did you get infected when you were somewhat knowledgeable? What do you think you could do to change the situation and help prevent more HIV in D.C., if not elsewhere? I think that the message has been lost, especially on the younger generation. A lot of the older generation, they keep saying, you've never been around in the 80s or 90s where people were dying by the hundreds every single day. And a lot of the younger generation is tired of hearing that, but yet they know it's true. I mean, I'm kind of in the middle, I guess, because since I was raised in the 80s, but a lot of the younger people didn't see it. I guess I'm in the generation that didn't see it. It wasn't that much of an impact on me that I did not see that happening around me. A lot of the older, especially gays and lesbians, usually say to me, when I say, oh, I just had two friends die in the last week of AIDS, I've gotten comments saying, oh, you have no idea. When it was back in the 80s and 90s, I had 10 friends die in a week. And I'm like, well, that's not really what I need to hear. (laughs) Two friends is a lot. Yeah, to me it is, especially nowadays when the meds are so available, well, to to some. Why are they not getting the advantage of these meds? I think that also the illusion or delusion that the younger generation may be suffering from is that all you have to do is take a pill and you'll be fine. That's not true. You have to also do a lot of things like take care of yourself, cut out a lot of the drinking, do everything in moderation, cut off the drugs completely, unless you have marijuana for medicinal purposes. If it's legal, then I can't say anything bad about it. But the thing is, there's a lot of things that you have to do other than just taking a pill to survive. Like what? Like taking supplements. I believe in taking vitamin supplements. I believe in eating well, exercising, and taking my meds regularly. So you're living an overall healthy life. Yes. So that's different than when you were not HIV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For instance, do you exercise three times a week? Do you juice? Do you oh, gosh. I, okay. smoothie? Do you... <laughs> totally, totally. In the morning time, I like to have an insure. I like to make breakfast. For my partner, I have maybe eggs, bacon, pancakes, something nice, I guess, or hearty. Of course, when you're working, it's kind of hard to do that because you're always on the go. 
At least I am. Usually when I get to work, I have a snack and I have something with full of proteins. I like fatty foods, especially because I'm afraid of uh, lipodystrophy. I make sure my foods are high in protein and very fatty. Why high fat? I guess I have a preconceived notion of wasting. I'm very afraid of it because I'm only 5'7", 140 pounds, waist size is 29. 30, excuse me. I just went up one. But I... (laughs) And also, I put on the pounds because what if one day I get sick and I lose 20 pounds? Did your doctor tell you to do this? No, that is something that I took on on my own. What does your doctor advise you to do besides the meds? In in the middle of changing doctors, actually. My doctor did ask me if I wanted to take supplements, and I said, yes, sure, no problem. I do take supplements. I try to stay healthy as possible. Vitamin C is like my main supplement, actually like 1,000 milligrams a day. Let me see. I have a vitamin D supplement. And I have another supplement that actually helps keep my bones very strong, calcium. The thing is, of course, being HIV positive, we're more subject to diseases that make your bones weaker. So you're taking calcium and vitamin D for that. Right. But that's about it. What do you think are the biggest issues that need fixing in HIV today? (sighs) Money. Money. Funding. Oh, my gosh. The nonprofits out there are dying. They're hurting just to try to keep their doors open. And if their doors shut, where's anybody going to go? The financial woes that different organizations are having, and I can't speak about my own because I'm on the board, but I can't speak openly right now about it, but they need funding. And D.C., wasn't there a report recently that said that there's just a huge number of people infected? Yes, yes. I mean, honestly, if you're on a subway, it's 1 in 20. If you're on a subway and you've got 20 residents of D.C., just take two out, and those people are HIV positive. So there's a dire need, particularly to service that community. Yes, it's absolutely out of control here, especially in the African-American community. It's at its worst. And the thing is, a lot of people think it's worse now because those numbers that are from the CDC are from last year. So a lot of people think that it's worse now. I think it's probably worse. But the main thing that we need is funding for these organizations that are trying to save people's lives. It's really awful here in D.C., I mean, you're very unique because you're young and you're active. You must find that on the board. There's not a lot of very young people who are activists. What's up with that? Why aren't the 20-something crowd of gay men active about HIV and about Whitman Walker? I think that there are, but a lot of them haven't been given the chance to. A lot of them think that, oh, I can't get through because I'm so young. There's actually, in D.C. especially, I can name two or three off the top of my head. There's Dan O'Neill, who's fairly young, and actually he's an HIV activist. There's Christopher Barnhill, who's fairly young, and he's an HIV activist. And I actually sit on the board of another organization called Alsura Company, which holds the White Attire Fair every single year in Washington, D.C. We just held that event about two, three weeks ago, and it was fantastic. It was successful, and we gave, I think it's around $10,000, to the Transgender Health Empowerment in D.C., my partner tells me sometimes I run myself too thin. <laughs> He's like, you stop doing so many things. It was like, yeah, but if I'm not going to, who's going to? And you just started this when you found out you had HIV. Were you yeah. an activist before? Or? I actually was an activist. I've been an activist in D.C. for 10 years. The first organization I was a part of was Students Opposing Brutality in Burma. We sent three students to Burma to observe what the brutalities were in Burma because what was going on with the government then and two of them only came back. What happened to the other? She got detained but then she eventually came back. Well, what school were you in? I went to Montgomery College which is a junior school. It's funny because everybody else went to Georgetown and George Washington. (laughs) But it was cool. 
this is part of your DNA to be an activist. Yeah, actually, it's funny because um, that's just who I am. My father always told me to stand up for myself. My father always taught me that, and my mom always taught me to be strong. So with those two, I myself feel like I'm unstoppable. How did you go from your previous job to your current job, and are you out there? Yes. Um, I actually work for the IRS. <laughs> I'm out openly as a gay man, and I'm out openly as an HIV-positive man. How did you do that? How did you come out? I told my supervisor, I said, there's things that I need that I might need to snack during the day because I need more nutrients than the regular person who's negative. That's just how it is. She said, okay, why would you need this? I said, because I'm HIV-positive. She said, okay, no problem. She was completely open to it. Did you expect a bad reaction? No. I didn't expect a bad reaction, but I braced myself for the worst, <laughs> just in case. So how long have you worked there? Since March. Wow, so you're a relatively new employee. How soon into your employment did you reveal your story? Actually, I think it should be like three weeks ago. It's been going well since then. That's great. How do you think having HIV has changed you? I hate to say this, but for the good. Actually, it's kind of focused me, had me refocus on education. I just was awarded my associate's degree. I didn't want to go to school ever again. And I thought that I did until I realized that I was positive. I said, you know what, I really need to go back to school. I don't want it to be too late. And of course, I was thinking the worst. It's time to focus on the good that Justin can do in the community. That's how it's been. Do you think it really is HIV or is it just getting older? Both. <laughs> I'm 29 years old, and I'm about to turn 30 on December 27th. I'm probably at that age where I'm ready to calm down and settle down and kind of just let life go and grab life by the, excuse me for saying this, balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's about that time. You mentioned that you were in the military from 1999 to 2003. Yep. I loved it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Actually, I was a very physical person. It was from 99 to 2003. I was in the United States Air Force. I was stationed at Dover Air Force Base, actually during 9-11, and that was horrible. Where's Dover Air Force Base? Dover Air Force Base is in Delaware. It's actually what's called the military mortuary because every single dead body that the military has comes through that base. When 9-11 happened, I volunteered to be mortuary duty, but then when I found out a friend of mine had passed away in the Pentagon, I couldn't do it. When you say mortuary duty, what do you have to do? You have to put together the bodies and actually put them in their uniforms and make them look good, make them look presentable like they're saluting the president. Yikes. So when they go to their funeral, they look good. Were you out as a gay man back in 1999? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so don't ask, don't tell. I don't remember if it was a did I did I, I, but did you find it a problem being gay? In I did not. I did not because I made a great group of friends who were also gay. So there are a lot of gay people in the military? Oh, gosh. There's so many. So many. So you found a home. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Why did you join the military? Probably arrogantly because I wanted to do something else. I was working three jobs. I was an intern. I was a waiter and I was a stripper at the same time. It really hurt. My body was looking like it was 20 going on 200. <laughs> then I saw a bus drive by and it said, United States Air Force aim high. And I said, hmm, I could do that. Then I told my dad, and he said, you will never make it. And, of course, telling a 19-year-old <laughs> that you'll never make it, what is he going to do or is she going to do? Right, it's She's a dare. going to prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I did. How was basic training? It was awesome. 
I loved it. I I, I love the physical nature of it. I loved it off the hook. <laughs> loved it. Push-ups, running at 5 o'clock in the morning, being my personal best. It's awesome. I loved it. It kept me focused. So it helped you with learning about discipline and stuff yes, like that? Yes, yes. You weren't sent overseas? No, I was never sent overseas. I guess you were lucky. Yes, I was very lucky. Did you do piloting or anything? I did computer operations. So you always were in local in Maryland? or Yep, local? always local. So what is it like being a veteran? I'm a disabled veteran, actually, technically. Not because of the HIV, but because I have thyroid disease. Are there a lot of HIV-positive vets? I think there are. If you do become positive in the military, they do have options where, well, one, you do not go anywhere. They do not send you anywhere but CONUS bases, which is the continental United States bases. They don't send you overseas if you are HIV-positive, especially not to hazard areas at all. But you weren't positive when you were in the military? No, I was not. Did you know people who were positive in the military? Yes, I did. Yeah, actually, it was a Navy guy that I dated that was positive. That is still, actually still is in the area. I still talk to, and he's doing fine. What's the weirdest rumor or myth that you've heard about HIV? If I hear one more thing about saliva or a, the toilet seat, about getting HIV from a toilet seat, I'm going to scream. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Seriously? No, that doesn't happen. Just people ask you randomly? People do ask me randomly about, is it okay if I sit on the toilet after my brother sat on the toilet or whatever? I'm like, yeah, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> so people are pretty ignorant still about HIV? Yeah, I would say so. But the one thing about ignorance is if you're truly ignorant, you're not going to ask. These people are asking. So I wouldn't call them ignorant. I would just call them inquisitive. What advice would you give to someone who's just found out they are HIV positive? The advice that I would give to somebody that just found out they were positive is start looking for a free clinic or somewhere where you can find treatment. Go find a case manager, and they should be able to steer you in the right direction where you need to go. Because after you get your blood test and everything back and find out that you have little viral load, then you don't need to do anything right now. But the only reason why you know that is because you go and seek treatment. So I say seek treatment as early as possible. You know people who had HIV and died because they didn't take care of themselves or they didn't take their virus seriously. How can we help people like that? How would you talk them into taking care of themselves? I was just thinking about a young man that, oh, gosh, this is kind of hard, actually. He was 20-something years old. He's a little younger than me, actually. He's two years younger than me. He didn't do anything for his virus, and he faded away. And he was a beautiful young man. He was just a beautiful young man inside and out. The only thing I could tell him was he didn't tell anybody. He wasn't honest with himself about what he had. The first thing that you need to do is be honest with yourself. Because without treatment, you're going to die. You are going to die. When you get a life-threatening disease and you're like 23 or 24 or whatever, young, you think, whatever, I'm going to die or whatever. When you're that age, you don't believe in mortality. It's just impossible to imagine that it's really going to happen. Yes, but when it sinks in, it sinks in real hard. It does. The thing is, being young and thinking that you're invincible, that only lasts a short time. These young people that are being infected, oh, I've got HIV. Well, whatever. I'll take care of it later. No, you need to take care of it now. Now. Not now, but right now. A lot of these people don't understand that. They don't know anything about opportunistic infections. They're not properly educated. They just know that if I have HIV, I can just go get medication, I'll be okay. Wrong. Totally wrong.
it's a misconception. It's just wrong. I feel bad because a lot of my friends did have that mentality, and now they're not here with me. And it's sad. I think of them every single day of my life. And it makes me cry right now. I'm tearing up a little bit. <laughs> it sounds like it also keeps you focused on doing what's right. Yes, it does. I do this for them, and I do this for my little brothers and my community in the world. I, I do this because I care. With that, we have to bring this interview to a close. So, Justin, it's been such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, for, you so much for having me on. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. I'm sure you'll get lots of people contacting you and getting some of your amazing strength. Thank you. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebody.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us. Thanks for listening to This Positive Life. For more podcasts and other first-person stories, please visit us online at thebody.com. If you'd like to share your story, please email us at podcast at thebody.com.